All right, I'm here talking to Mr. Greg Hill. Greg, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, dear? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Thought it was a good time to uh, chat. Me and you had a little uh, word over the weekend. You told me you got some new news and stuff, so I thought, hey, why not just do a little podcast and uh, put some questions with it and uh, just have a cool little update on uh, on your update. So I guess, you know, the first question is, uh, since last time we spoke, uh, what you've been up to and uh, what you got cooking? Okay. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. Um, since last we spoke, um, a lot has happened. I, I, uh, shoot, man, it's like a world of difference, but I'll try to be brief and quick here. Basically, I've been doing my teaching, um, got away from GHP, as we said in the last podcast, focus on teaching and my day job, uh, which is good. And about, I want to say three weeks ago, could be three and a half weeks ago now, uh, we're in Vegas, and a good buddy of mine, uh, Dale Robinson, and I were talking, and he just posed a question to me. Uh, there was really nobody around, and he just said, hey, what's going on with Remix? And I said, well, um, it's it's great product. They make great product. He asked me because he knew I was kind of doing stuff with them about a year ago. Um, and I said, it's great product. They, you know, the manufacturer created their own in-house brand, and um they just didn't have the resources to push it into the marketplace. They have everything dialed in on the manufacturing side of things, but in a perfect world, they probably need someone to uh, to take the, the brand over, you know? Mm-hmm. And so he said, well, do you know him pretty well? And I'm like, yeah, I know him pretty good. And he goes, well, find out what you can uh, just call him up and ask him. Check their polls. So that's kind of what I did. And... Um, the, the the question was met with pretty good enthusiasm because basically, like I said, they got everything dialed in as far as getting the product here, but you know, getting getting it to market and that whole logistics of doing that, they just don't have. They're not prepared to do that. So uh, within, I would say within 14 days, it was completely done. Um, well, what to go backwards a little bit? Dale said, "Okay, um, so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to." like take the brand over and buy the brand and, uh, but I can't do this without you. And I'm like, well, so what are you saying? And he's like, well, what I'm saying is, would you be willing to, you know, take care of the brand management details, you know, product development, brand management, promotions, um, just race, you know, go to races, this kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in that part of it. Uh, I'm not really interested in, and the ownership part of it and all that deal that goes with that. So if that's your forte and mine is this, and we put those two together, we'd probably do pretty good. Mm-hmm. So he said, make the call. So I made the call, and uh, here we are. And uh, the, company, the brand has been purchased. It's done. And uh, I've been hired to, for lack of better words, be the brand manager. And uh, all the logistics will happen out of Reno. Dale uh, is up in the Reno, Tahoe area. So all the product will be there, and all the ABCs are doing business are going to happen there, and uh, you know bookkeeping and shipping, and all that stuff will take place there. And my job will be done out of my uh, home office, and I'll manage the vendor and product development, and manage the uh, website, uh, make sure everything's going good there, and uh, go to races and do the presentation, and manage any type of uh, support that we offer out to teams and such. And, and uh, and that's it. So uh, yes, it's a cool deal. It starts 
you know, last Friday, actually. So it's a pretty good situation for me. Uh, the product, I believe in it. It's great. I feel like it's probably the best product on the market that no one knows about. It's just a big secret. People really never got an opportunity to learn about it, and we're going to change that. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, to, uh, yeah I have heard, heard, the, heard the name before, but it, like, until you talked to me over the weekend, I obviously went to look to the website and yeah. checked it out a little bit. Give us a bit more history then, where it, you know how it started and who was involved. And right, right, yeah. What happened was uh, I it's probably been two years ago. I contacted uh, a good buddy of mine, his name is Mike Flaherty, and he he's kind of done all my artistic stuff for GHP over the years, and I met on the website. We've known each other for like probably thirty years. And um, so he went on with a company called GW out of uh, Taiwan, and uh, is their their main product. Has been their main product uh, guy, you know, product developer. He he manages product and relationships, and uh, he just does a lot with that company. And what happened is, I guess, and I don't know the I don't know the hundred percent detail on this. I just know that with him and the owner, they kind of had a an idea of doing their own in-house brand and. So I had called Mike and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, shutting GHP down here in about anywhere from 12, 12 months or so. And, you know, just kind of looking into the forecast, do you know, do you have anything, you know, anybody who might be looking for someone like me? He says, well, shoot, here's what we're doing. So they explained it all and it sounded good. Um, they were still in the development process. So the timing, you know, when you're developing products, things take time, you know, um, if you're in business and you're doing it year after year after year and you look at a new production, you're looking at typical lead times, 90 to 120 days. But when you're developing it for the first time, it takes time. So it really kind of came late to the to the table. By the time Remix actually got off the ground and product was here, I was already checking GHP into the emergency room. <laughs> for lack of better words. There's just so many frames out there and like I told my wife, I'm just like there's just so many frames this is just pushing the cart uphill with one hand. I'm just over it. Yeah. So the platform was gonna be use GHP as a platform. We're going to race it already and we can kind of roll remix right along with that and support teams and all that. But it just took a little longer than expected. So I actually stepped away from remix. Uh after I shut GHP down. And I just disappeared from even wanting to talk about the bike industry. Like, if anybody wanted to talk with me about it or any friends of mine, I'd just be like, let me just, you know, want to reach out and choke them because <laughs> it's, it's, like <laughs> it's like a bad breakup, you know. Like, let me step back and get a break here. Right. And get my hands straight. And I don't really want to talk about the BMX industry right now, but I need a break. <laughs> and so here I am in Vegas. And the only reason, I went to Vegas for one reason. Uh, and I talked to my wife and we go on. Like, we're not going to be in the dirt and uh, it's going to be cool. We'll be there for like a day and a half. So I went just to watch the kids that I trained. Mm -hmm. I trained uh, several different kids and they were all going to be there. And I'm like, you know what? This would be a good thing. I can go connect with these kids and uh, hopefully that will help them with building our relationship and give them a little more confidence. And I'm sitting in the stands on Saturday watching practice. And Dale is like, look, there's a GHP. Hey, there's another one. There's another one. I said, yeah, thanks. I see that. <laughs> but kind of like, you know, it's cool to see. And then he said, well, what's up with Remix? And then that's how it all started. I, I never talked to him about it. I never talked to Mike about it. So long story short, I called Mike and I said, hey, man, you know, we've we known each other a long time. And I just want to ask you this. Don't don't get mad. He was like, dude, lay it on me. I said, what would it take for you to just move out of the way? He, he started laughing. He goes, oh, this is great. 
it's exactly what we need. We really always just want them to be the vendor. You know, we, we're just not in a position to be the marketing arm of this brand. And I said, well, here's what we got, and uh, here, here's an offer. What do you think? And, uh, yeah, that, that was nine or ten days later, 12 days later, it was all signed and done, like completely done. So. Oh wow! So what's the uh, no? Go go ahead, please. Yeah, no, we'll be we'll be you know like right now my my van is is at one eleven eight get one eleven eight getting wrapped. It'll be all remixed. I'll pick it up Friday. Mm -hmm. I got um I got some tents coming from Danny Ashbrook, uh, Print Media. He's hooking me up. I'll get those done and uh, I'll have those by Wednesday. Uh, we got all. We're going to be in Phoenix, so invite anybody to come over and check us out. I mean, um, it's going to be a whole new, a whole new vibe. You know, we got product that that some people have seen, but for the most part, you know, people really they don't see any ads and they don't see any race. You know, some kids have it on their bikes, but for the most part, people don't really know what it's about. And uh, I only had gone to like a couple of races before the whole thing kind of unraveled with GHP, and then I didn't go back. So there wasn't enough in your face. Now, between now and the Grands, we're going to have like eight half-page color ads. We're going to be at 10 events. Uh, website's going to be completely done and rolled out on March 1st. So, you know, it'll it'll get the attention. And the concept basically is it make a better product at a better price. I mean, you know, the, this product is great. It's the reason why the product is great. And Dale Robinson is a stand-up guy. And without those two things, this can't work. Mm -hmm. uh, with my contributions and all that, it works. But the, the product is great, and uh, you know a lot of people don't even know it's a 32 spoke rim. They don't know that it's flying nipples that you never strip out. They don't know that the hubs are just so precisionly made. Uh, so much about these wheels, people don't know, and um, the, the strength of them is amazing. So I've had kids on. I mean, people have been on for a year now, and I've had zero issues. They don't. I'm 200 pounds. I hit this this berm in my backyard here. Uh, it's literally three feet high and vertical. I can go as fast as I want through it. And on any other setup I've had, I've been able to peel tires, pop spokes, the whole nine. I, I, I put these things through that pace months and months ago. Um, I've never had an issue, you know? So product's good, and it's exciting to, to let people start to learn about it and see it. Our, our whole thing is... Offer a better product at a better price. How can we do that? Well, make the great product and remove the middleman. Have a website that's fully serviced. You can buy it right from the website, direct sales. We're not going to sell to distributors. We're not going to sell to bike shops. Uh, you know, people, bike shops, not to knock them. I love bike shops. But the fact is, is they're not going to buy a high-end carbon fiber wheel and just put it on display. They won't do that. Mm -hmm. They'll call you when someone walks in and asks for it. Right. So, you know, we did, I don't know about you guys, but and a lot of people listening right now, but I must have walked to my front gate 30 times from, you know, mid-November to December 20th. And that's how we, my wife did our Christmas shopping, mm -hmm. Amazon.com, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, stuff will just show up. So direct marketing allows us to provide a better, Price for a great product. If you looked at any of the other competitors that are in the carbon fiber wheel market, you're going to buy you're going to buy hoops and you're going to buy spokes and nipples and hubs. You're going to have those put together. And if you get a really really high end that's 
uh, equal to the quality of what we offer, you're going to pay fourteen or fifteen hundred bucks for that. Mm-hmm. Unless you unless you get the super bro deal, which you know there's a lot of that in BMX. But if you're going to go just buy these things, <laughs> that, you know that'd be a good brand. You know, so, somebody should start a brand, just bro down. I mean, none of there's throw down, but I mean, know, bro, bro, bro bikes, bro deal incorporated. You know. <laughs> I think with GHP, I just got bro dealed out. I was ready to choke the next person. But it's like, here's our retail. Here's our our support team pricing. And then someone who you've known forever right. who's in your program says, hey, but what's my price? Right, yeah. Hey, man, you know what? Let me just give this to you because you know what? I don't need to feed my family and my mortgage just doesn't need to get paid. There's a lot of that in BMX. But yeah. I think what we want to do is change the game and be able to offer a super high-end product and not not try to walk on top of the fence and be like, well, we sell the dealers and distributors, but hey, dude, if you call me on my bat line, I can hook you up for bro price. You know, like right. everyone does that. And mm-hmm. if they say they don't, Charlie Design doesn't do that. <clears throat> I can tell you right now, and I work with them a long time. There ain't no bro deals happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's got to be business, so that's what we're focused on. We're going to have these carbon... Pro wheel complete wheel sets retailing for eight hundred and ninety nine dollars plus shipping. These wheels come with a ten spoke nipple pack, and they come with carbon fiber brake shoe brake shoes that are they're 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 made for carbon fiber wheels. So for eight ninety nine plus shipping, you get extra spokes and you get the brake pads. You're not finding that kind of a price anywhere for something this quality. Just not available. Is there uh, like a vision to maybe even do a frame or anything down the road? Um, if there's any talk of doing a frame, uh, I'll either shoot the person who's talking <laughs> about it or I'll just leave the building. Yeah, we're not making frames. I mean, there, there's, there's at least, I know for a fact there's at least 150 different named frames. The reason why I don't say there's 150 companies doing frames because many of them aren't companies. Right. Many of them are just doing it. For a tax write-off, and because they want to enter a team sheet, and they buy a hundred frames from Sal, and uh, you know what, the frame market is totally oversaturated. Mm-hmm. Um, I I got my bike on a ride, and it's a rival, and I called up Ryan and said, "Hey, look, man, uh, I got a ride. I'm gonna ride my backyard track. I'm gonna teach. I want to be on my bike, and your frames look pretty cool." So this is pretty funny, actually. I'm thinking Rival has a good name. Their product looks clean. And they're essentially new and almost a little bit unheard of, right? Right. So I get my frame. I get my bike halfway together. I'm like, this is cool. And then I do what everybody else does. My I'm Jones in to check out social media. So I look. Right. And boom, Mary Stromberg is on the Rival now. <laughs> yeah. so, much for the, so much for the frame that, you know, like not a lot of people know about. Now we got the, you know... Two time gold medalist on Rival, which is cool. I thought it was cool. Yeah, he kept. I I talked to him. I listened. To, I did a podcast with him last week, and I just during the podcast, um, I was like Supercross again, and he's like, no, and he's like, well, I'm just about to announce <laughs> something. So he told me after we finish uh, recording, but yeah, it was a surprise to me as well. You know, he's uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. He's pretty good at keeping the the cat in the bag. But yeah, that's good, man. I like yeah. this whole program. You no, know, he doesn't have to win races anymore. He's can race when he wants and teach and, mm-hmm. and be on the bike. He's he's definitely a good guy. So I'm glad he's on Rival because if people say, well, what's that? Well, you know what? You should check out the two-time gold medals. He's on one. Right, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, interesting. See, I, I saw Ryan had his first big splash at the grounds and um, he had a good you know good display, good setup in the pits. And uh, yeah, I look forward to yeah. seeing now it all uh, 
how it all pans out. Um, talking to your backyard, I, I saw that you yeah, and you mentioned it just then that you're kind of redoing it. And when I was back home at Christmas, I was I was going through some old footage and stuff, and I've actually and I'll, I'll post it at some point. I did grab the clip and put it in my files. Uh, when I came and rode, um, and I see it's it's the same kind of layout and everything. I come and rode your backyard with Byron I Friday. Yeah, I got it on video. Byron Friday. A lot of people. Yeah, '97. There's me, you doing Gates with Harry Leary. So I'll I'll put it up there at some point. But uh, I see anyway. Oh, that's yeah, cool, I see, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, but I see you you redoing the yard then. So you're you're fully uh, yeah riding mode again. I, I just. I just like I, I mean don't get me wrong man I love BMX just like most people listening and all your listeners and that but sometimes when you're emotionally engaged in something like I was with GHP for 13 years it's there's a lot more going on than just making frames you know or having them made or whatever mm-hmm. and I needed to just get away from it I was just need a break from it. I was completely burned out and then all of a sudden about two months ago I was just like man this is like I want to ride again I got this backyard here and we got this little pump track and with, you know, a little bit of back and elbow work, you know, with me and my son and my cousin John and a few others, then we can, we can get it riding again. And to go out and just spend, anybody who's done it, to spend an hour on a pump track, if it's not the best workout you've ever gotten, plus it's just fun. Just so, that video, and again, uh, I, 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 I take it over Christmas, but your turns, and you were right, I mean, this was 97, so you was, yeah. I, I think you'd already finished double A, but... The way you, oh, yeah, you way, see when I post time. it, how you carve those turns, and you know it because you did it, you know, but just how you, <laughs> you know, in and yeah. out of those turns, I mean, it's very impressive, you know? It so. was just fun, man. I just like it, and uh, I don't know. It's just fun being on the bike and in the backyard, and the pump, pump tracks are amazing, and I, to be honest, I feel like I feel like I'm at home when I'm on them, and I've never once ever been to a pump track other than my house. Like, I see all these cool things online. Right. I just wish I could just go sometime and ride one, but. Yeah. They're just fun, man. Just riding well, you, your bike. You, you, you know? had a pump track before it was called a pump track, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it was cool. Well, let's so. hop into, uh, again, because I'm, I'm sure most people listen to this, listen to your first podcast, and we are going to do a, a, a part two at some point, as I am with, uh, you know, Harry and Billy Griggs, a lot of yeah. un, unanswered questions, but I thought, why we got you on the line and we're having a quick little deal, let's, let's answer a few more of the questions we didn't do in that first podcast. So, um, okay, I, sure. I, I pulled a few up. So, this one's from John Rhodes. And he says, uh, yep. where do you see the future of bicycles on dirt? That's an awesome question. I, uh, I really believe, without a lot of thought, just, just coming off the top of my head, that, that uh, um, supercross racing is a dying breed. Okay? I know that Latvia has three tracks or two tracks, and they're building a third one for Maris, and I get that. But to be honest, it hasn't helped the sport grow. And, it, and we've talked about this with, with many people and many times and platforms that Supercross uh, isn't something that the noob wants to look at and do or the parents think this is a great thing. So I'm hoping, and my vision is that five years from now, that BMX returns to the BMX track, you know, to have normal standard tracks, make them nicer, make them cleaner. I get you want to asphalt the turns because the dirt blows away or winter blows out your turns. I get it. But let's get back to some BMX, like real BMX, okay? And if you haven't watched, like, Maris Stromberg or Sam Willoughby or all the names you could come up with, get on a normal BMX track and go, I mean, it's more exciting to me than watching Supercross. Mm-hmm. Way more exciting. Mm-hmm. 
So I hope it returns to the normal format. That's how I feel. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, we've got another question here, one from Tracer Thin, also a Hall of Famer. Um, when did Tracer get Hall of Fame? I don't know what the date was, but yeah, yeah I don't know. I can't remember, yeah. but he's in there. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, no, he's definitely in there. Uh, so anyway, Tracer says, um, I guess, you again, I don't remember this part of your career. There's so many different right. um, parts, but uh, he says, you were riding for Shimano on a GT frame. He says, you were killing it. It looked like you was uh, building some kind of leverage uh, for, a uh, for another ride. What, uh, tell us a little bit about that time. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no leverage. <laughs> <laughs> this is in a time when, like, I mean, I'm... I'm 16 years old and, uh, or I'm 15 actually, and oh, I get dropped from Redline. Okay. And yeah, I got dropped from Redline, and then I'm like, okay, what do I do? And so I spoke with Richard Long, and he's like, get on a GT, and you know, we'll give you a bonus, a contingency. So I wrote it. I wrote that, and I and Shimano was was helping me with expenses and taking care of a lot of stuff for me. And really, the the um. I was, the only leverage I was building was trying to get to the next race or get through the next season. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. I was actually on that GT, and then at some point I was at a race in La Mirada, and I was standing there. It was probably in, in June or July and, uh, of 81. And Gary Turner and Richard Long were standing there, and Richard was like, hey, we're going to put Greg on GTs. We got first factory pro. We're going to pay him. And Gary was like, no, we're not. And right in front of me, and Richard's like, well, yeah, we are, and it's time to step up, or whatever. I don't know the exact words. And Gary said, well, this isn't going to happen, because we're not going to ever pay anyone. And then Richard just stuck his hand out and shook my hand and said, don't worry about this guy. We're, you call me next week, and you come in, we'll get you all dialed in. And I signed up, got everything, got my uniforms, went to the first race, Pontiac Silverdome, first international BMX World Championships. And I won every lap of the weekend. And... uh it was amazing, and from there, it was just great. So that that might look like leverage, but it was not planned, and but it all came together. So uh, no leverage on that one, Tracer. But yeah, that was a little part yeah. I didn't know about. Um, Josh Taylor, he said, "What do you think is the best pro rivalry in BMX?" And that might even be one of yours. So gives. I don't know. I, I I don't even know how to answer that. I mean, honestly, there there there's no way to. There's too many. Yeah, I mean, a lot. If this was a personal question, like, hey, who's your toughest guy? That would be different. But it's like, the way the question is posed, what was the best pro rivalry in BMS? I don't know. So, Do we want to say Willoughby and Maris? Do we want to say, you know, um, there's some, we can go to the list. I don't know how to answer that, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. That's a tough question. There's so many great riders. Anybody can win. Well, there's a handful of guys that can win on any given day. I don't know. You... That's a tough one. Me yeah. and Anthony Sewell, that was my best. We didn't race each other for a super long time, but when that dude was on and you beat him, you're like, wow, that was great. Because when he was on, he started to beat. You yeah. know? Yeah. First guy to ever win two pro titles in one year. Dude was amazing. So, had a lot of good races with that dude. Mm -hmm. All right, next one. Why don't you? Terry, yep. Terry Smith. Um, he says, for somebody who's a legend in the sport, what, do you think maybe you're not treated as you deserve to be? Uh, no, I, I don't really understand that. To be honest with you, um, I don't. I don't. Uh, nobody owes me anything, right? I don't expect anything. I don't want any red carpet. If you told me the red carpet was going to be rolled out just because of who I am, I'd just come through the back door. I don't need it. I don't want it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm treated badly. Um, 
you know, like a lot of people will go straight to, yeah, but you had things to say about USA BMX. Look, BA, Shannon, you know, John David, uh, all these guys, man, like, they come from BMX. They love BMX. That's not why they got into it. I don't agree with everything they do. Mm-hmm. In the past, I was the guy who, if I didn't agree with everything and I wanted to speak up, I spoke up. I said my piece. They may not treat me. I don't have a perception of how they have to treat me. So I feel like I get treated well. You know what? The people that respect me treat me nice, and I um, appreciate it. I've been treated really, really good. So I have no problems with anything right now. Cool. Um, Cruising Chris, it says, what's the hardest race you've ever, ever competed in? Uh, is there anyone that in particular stands out? Yes. The hardest race that I ever had in my entire life was, oh my God. Okay, it was in 1985, and it was the Pro Cruiser Main at the NBL Grands, and Didi Leone and myself were pretty much tied in points. Um, we were both going to get first and second, and whoever, whoever beat each other won the title uh, for Pro Cruiser. And my frame bent in my semi. I had to go and put together a CW cruiser, which was a heaping pile of junk. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it was horrible. And I got on the gate next to him, and the gate dropped, and we went down that first straight, and I like to feel like I got a hernia. I tried so hard. I've never tried that out of my life. And we came across the finish line, and I beat him by a half bike length, literally. That was the hardest race I've ever had in my life, and I will never forget that. You won. And that the- dude was, what's that? No, no, carry on. Yeah, like carry on first. No, that, that dude was, okay, if you've never seen him Big in, dude, his, right? in his day, oh, man, he could pick you up by your head and just pop it if you wanted to. The dude was powerful and strong, and he was on a cruiser. He was the man. He never so really translated in twenty inch, did he? It was I know he wasn't amateur, but pro he was yeah, it didn't seem like again, this, this is yeah, before he, my time just reading it. Yeah, he um you know, he did okay, but he didn't he, he didn't do great. I think he really loved the cruiser and he was more comfortable on it. Yeah. You know, I mean I, I went to the eighty five USA BMF, not USA USBA Grand Nationals and I and I got four seconds on the weekend, and he got four first. He won pro and pro cruiser both days. Oh, wow. Hmm. He was one, he was like unbelievable. But other than that, I, I think he was pretty um, kind of quiet on the 20-inch, but on the cruiser, he just, I don't know what it was, man. Powerhouse, lots of power, just he can get it done. And it, it was hard to beat that guy. Yeah, you, now you won the Worlds in 85 in cruiser, right? Canada, Whistler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a big deal for you um, winning that on cruiser, or how was that? Yeah, man, I mean, I always, at the time, I don't want to say no, but obviously it was all about 20. If you were just like, hey, dude, we'll send you up there to just race cruiser, I'd have been like, yeah, I'm not going to go. Right. But the pro cruiser title, like, there was a lot of good dudes that raced it. Brian Patterson, Stu Thompson, Anthony Sewell, like, mm-hmm. you could name goes on and on. Lots of good guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, I, I got in the gate, and I wanted to win. It worked out perfectly. Got the whole shot, and I was gone. And I, you know what? That's a world championship, and I was on the gate, and I won, and I don't care if it's pro open, pro cruiser, 20-inch, uh, it's a world title. And yeah, it was yeah awesome. no, I agree. Definitely, it uh, doesn't matter what it is. Um, I, I think a lot of people may look at the results, and they see Ron House got second, and then what happens is you got to know what that track was like, because the first turn was unbelievable crash fest in the mains, mm-hmm. and that's what, ha- that's what happened. Behind me, there was a crash. 
And uh, so, yeah, if you look at the top three, it may not be super impressive, but getting the first turn and five people crash, that's what happens. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It not matter who got second. Um, well, so yeah. I, I guess I don't know if you read much about it, Greg. They, they, they still talk a little bit about Pro Cruiser now it's gone. Do you, do you think it's something ever worth bringing back, or uh, what's your what's your you know your um, views on current Pro Cruiser or lack of or no Pro Cruiser? You know, I I think you have Cruiser classes, so why would you not have Pro Cruiser? I think it's completely stupid to not have it. You have you know, everything I say. I'm using logic, right? Um, mm -hmm. Rival makes cruisers. They want to sell cruisers. Yeah. Well, why isn't there a pro cruiser class? Mm -hmm. You know? Why isn't there a pro open class? I mean, these guys are racing for their sponsors. Track time is exposure, you know? Mm -hmm. You may not make the 20-inch elite main, but what if you make the pro open main and win that and put 500 or six or 700 bucks in your pocket? You're getting exposure for your sponsors. Yeah. I don't know why they don't have it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It was always a pro open for me and, and cruiser as well. It was a feel good if you didn't work out. Obviously, everybody wants to do double A, you know, as a priority. But if you didn't do good that particular day, but you could still back it for me at least. You know, if I could back it up with a you know top two in cruiser or top three in open, I was pretty, I was uh, pretty, uh, yeah. It was it was content for that that day, you know, regardless of the double A result. Yeah, because it, it lets you know that maybe you had a bad deal in your double-A semi, you just couldn't help it, but mm -hmm. then you went on and got second and open or whatever, and you're like, you know what, I just had a bad deal, I couldn't control that, but I did good today. Yeah. And it's no. a good feeling. Yeah, no, I agree. And you got more track time for all your sponsors, you know, which is cool. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, all right, let's 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 finish up, Greg, with a bit of uh, name game, okay. rapid fire. I wrote a few names down. Yep, yep. And uh, just give us yep. the first couple thoughts or a sentence or whatever you want to say about that particular subject or person and uh, what comes into your head. So let's uh, get it okay. going with uh, Harry Leary. Uh, the Leary, that's it. If you don't know what the Leary is, <laughs> gotta go look it up. That's what I think about. <laughs> Eric Carter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eric Carter, um, uh, the guy was, he was unbelievable in the turns. Okay, he would pick your pocket. The guy was amazing. Great racer and he could pass anybody anywhere. Did you when when you saw him coming up, you know, towards pro? Were you guys kind of looking out for ready for him coming up, or was he somebody like this? Uh, you know, yeah, you know, he was there. You knew he was coming, and you know, you knew he was there to take somebody's spot. So yeah, he was. You know what? He wasn't a super powerhouse guy. He was always smiling. He was just having a good time. Mm -hmm. But his track, his track intelligence was just off the charts. So you know, he could do stuff. He just. He was just great on a bike. Yeah, I know. I agree. Um, all right, next one. The eight-meter start hill. Ah, uh, stupid. That's just all <laughs> I can see right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, come on. When I see a guy who weighs 140 pounds, half wheel behind Mike Maris or, or fields at the bottom of the hill, I mean, let's just, come on. Mm -hmm. I want to see some horsepower. I'm not seeing on an eight-meter starting hill. Mm -hmm. I think they're stupid. All right, next one, um, Brian Patterson. Uh, Brian Patterson was a good dude. Uh, it's hard to one-word it, one-line it, but, man, we became good buddies in 85. We traveled all the races, to, races together. We traveled on People's Express, 99 bucks, coast-to-coast, <laughs> coast, stayed at the shittiest hotels you could stay at, and uh, had a great time. When he was on fire, no one beat him. 
he was amazing. Well, you guys are kind of doing the same thing, you know. Obviously, with you at GHP, and obviously uh, Brian yeah. with with Brett with Brent with uh, Patterson. Yeah. So you guys were totally. probably uh, saying, it, yeah. It was a pretty cool thing to be able to have that in common and be out there trying to do your thing as well. You know. Yeah. No. Definitely. All right. Tommy Brackens. Tommy Brackens is the happiest guy that's ever raced a bike. He's got a smile on his face. He's the fastest guy that I've ever seen go down the first straight, period. And uh, man, he's the UCI 1996 Pro World Champion. He's like a brother to me. I love the guy. And uh, he's just great. He's like a brother. I know I've asked you this before about that 96 um, Worlds in Slough. First, <laughs> I've got two two-part question. I'm just, I didn't write this down. I'm just thinking of it now. But I know I was talking to you about it before. First of all, how, yeah. you know, uh, me as a fan and watching the, the footage since, um, how fast Tommy Brackens was on that track. Did you guys know that, like, going into that first main? Yeah. Did you, like, is he, like... Well, you try not to think about it. But he you was... try not to think about it. But you got a gate that's not, a hill that's not that big, and it's it's all speed, and, and, and you got Tommy Brackens on the gate, okay? It's like, roll a pedal, please, or slip a pedal, please, <laughs> yeah. or something. The dude is just freaking fast, man, and before you know it, you're in the first turn, and he's in front. And it's just, you don't think about it. You try to not think about it. You try to not get on the gate and think, well, Pistol Peak can bench press a motorhome. You know, <laughs> Gary Ellis can miss you. You've got to put them dudes out of your mind. But right. you know that if you're on the gate next to Tommy and you, for some reason, if God smiles on you and you beat him out, you got to move over, like, quick. Right. Like, you're not giving him any room or any time. <laughs> All right. <I> <laughs> It was just fast. So. Second question as regards to Slough, 86 World Championships. Gary Llewellyn, English pro. A lot of, uh, <laughs> lot of, uh, a lot of politics during that race with the English pros uh, refusing to race yeah. because Gary Llewellyn and Charlie Reynolds raced when they, or Gary raced when he was going through a ban at the moment um, in, in yeah. UK racing. So the English guy's like, if Gary races the Worlds, we're not racing. So Gary's like, F you guys, I'm still racing, and Gary raced. Gary in the first main put a move on you, I think, on the inside and put you over turn two yeah. or made an aggressive pass. Yeah. And then uh, the word was that you punched him at the finish line. Was that true? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and what was oh, said? Yeah, hell yeah. So, so um, what it was really about, <laughs> look past me, that's cool, but run me off the track. That's <laughs> not cool. Okay? Because when you're in the world and you're racing right. and you're passing someone for third place in a turn or whatever, you just make the pass and go. But when you go out of your way to run them off the track, and then people are passing you too. And then what happened is, what really did happen, and it happened in a split second, is I heard from someone who knew that he did it on purpose. Uh -huh. So basically, uh, I'm in the wrong sport. Uh, I should have been an MMA. If you <laughs> piss me off or you push me off the track or you crash me, I'm pretty much going to walk up and I'm going to punch you. And I'm hoping that you're going to, you know, Join the party because that's <laughs> just how it was back then. So, and I don't think, think there was a lot of people like that back then. But that's just what happened to me. You're at the world's man. You flew across the ocean to go race, and you get this idiot who was banned and shouldn't have been racing anyway. Hey, maybe he's not an idiot. He could be a cool guy. But that day, he was an idiot. He mm. did the cheap shot. Was laughing about it at the fence. Okay, if you take me out and then you're laughing about it, I'm going to punch you. <laughs> that's just it. <clears throat> and, like, and none of the officials, nothing. Back then, you just get back on the gate for main two, and that's back to business. I, I, I gotta be honest. I don't remember, man. They, <laughs> they never. 
they never said anything to me. I think they were more about, you shouldn't be racing anyway, and you just wrecked an American, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, right. <laughs> yeah, but I, I punched this guy. Right, I guess yeah. they were cool with that. Oh, uh, different times, different times. Um, yeah, now you'd be done for probably forever, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and Okay, next one. Uh, Mike King. Sneaky. <laughs> done. That's all I got for him. Sneaky dude. <laughs> Anybody who raped him? Knows what I'm saying. Sneaky <laughs> dude. Christophe Levesque. Game changer. Come to America and show these dudes how it's done. Now you got to stop and say, okay, what I was doing last week, it ain't working this week. Game changer. Dude's incredible. Chris Mola. Mr. Entrepreneur. You know, uh, take the piss out of everybody. <laughs> have a good time along the way and build a an empire along the way. Just super smart businessman. Mm -hmm. All the respect in the world for that guy. Brian Foster. Just get seventh in the last main. That's all you need. <laughs> oh. And it's yours. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love the guy. The guy was the best rider ever. I thought he was so good on a bike. Mm -hmm. and, and he was, in my opinion, I think he was the best guy to ever ride a bike. He's yeah. so awesome. He's still good. I wish he would have just... Yeah, I see videos. I cannot even believe it. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds crappy. What I just said. What I, what what happened to him? He let the pressure got to him. I think and just had the worst lap of his whole life. He should have won that title. But you know what? He's he's probably one of the greatest riders ever. And he's you know what? He's a true to his sport and to his moral. And he was like, okay, clips are not BMX. So you know what? If we're going to be racing in clips, I'm done. Mm -hmm. And he switched over and won X game gold. How the hell does that work? All right. That yeah. proves my theory of him being the best rider ever to ride a bike. When you can do a 360, 50 feet, I don't know how far it was. And a transfer on top of that. The guy was amazing. Yeah, like saying, when you watch his clips on uh, Instagram, like, you would not know he was, you know, for the same age as me. He's 46. And you would just yeah, unbelievable. No, no doubt. Yeah, cool. cool. Um, all right, Kyle Bennett. Butter. Uh, 18 wins in a row. Nobody's ever done that. Longest win streak ever in history of sport. Uh, dude could be <clears throat> 1,200 points out of the lead, and there's five races left, and just wins the last five races and barely misses the title by a few points. Just un unbelievable talent. Super cool dude. Um, God bless him, and uh, you know we miss him. But yeah, he's he's awesome. Absolutely. Um, Mike Day. Mike Day. Man, that kid grew up in the sport. I watched him grow up in the sport. Silver medal, NBL number one. Good dude. <clears throat> Seems to, to have had a great career and moved over to mountain biking. You know, just, I got a lot of respect for him. He's done well. Mm -hmm. Unheard of coaches on Facebook. Unbelievable. It's just it's unbelievable. It's like, let me get on there and buy my license, and now I can coach. You know, I'm not saying you have to win something to race. A lot of people misunderstand it. My my training and a lot of the way I promote my speed seminar program is that, hey, I, I've won some races and I got some experience. But then people say, well, you don't have to have won. No, you don't. But how about you've coached someone who's won? How about you have been a coach and taken someone to the top? And so you get it. I just don't get why sometimes I see clinics and they're high-end clinics with people I never heard of. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. I just don't get it. So 
I think it's uh, oversaturated a little bit myself. Kind of like the frame deal, isn't it? Pretty much. Yeah, anybody <laughs> anybody can do a clinic, and they do. I've called tracks, and they'd be like, yeah, we're never doing a clinic again because we had Joe, Joe Blow last month, and he came in and just took people's money and left and just did a bad job. I mean, you know what? It gives the whole business a bad name. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to do, do a clinic with me because of that situation. Oh, sucks. Uh, all right, the BMX industry in the 80s. Just overall. In the 80s? It, yeah. yeah, in the 80s, it was all blowing up. Man, <clears throat> I started riding for GT, Factory GT, in October of 1981. <clears throat> I used to watch the production of the bikes. I watched them move into three different locations during the course of two years. They were just booming. And we did GHP. My parents did it 83 to 85. And I watched 500 frames a month go out the door. And, um, you know, that's a lot of frames. Oh my God. And um, so it was, it was big. It was, it, was, it was growing, and it was getting big in the 80s. And it was really, I think, in a healthy way in the 80s. All right, the BMX industry in the 90s. Uh, it took a dump, I think. It got slow, but also racing got slow. And then there was a lot of companies, not, not as many as there is now, I don't think, but I think the 90s was kind of, uh, wasn't very, at least in my opinion, wasn't real strong for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and the last one then, let's finish off with this one, the BMX industry today. Um, I think it's, in a lot of, a lot of the industry, I think, is smaller um, than it ever has been. Um, yeah, there's a lot of frame, com- uh, frame brands, but that doesn't mean there are a lot of frame companies. But, you know, you, you have, I don't know. I think the problem is, is that it, the industry ties itself to the health of the sport. When, <clears throat> you know what, again, I, man, I'm not trying to do anything but be honest right now, okay? When there was 700 tracks in the country, racing was healthier, and then the industry was healthier. But, there's not 700 tracks in the country now. So there's less people racing than was racing in the mid-80s. So there's less customers now. I think what you have now that helps kill it a little bit is that in the 80s and the 90s, you didn't have Bro Deal Incorporated, and now you do. So it's tough. Um, hoping it rebounds. I think the, the purge will come. I don't think there'll be a day when there's 150 frames on the market, but... Um, I, I think that will everything cycles, and uh, I think it'll it'll return to being strong. Yeah, no, I really hope so as well. Greg, always good chatting. I know we could go on forever. We'll definitely still do this part two at some point during this year. Um, let's wrap it up and uh, yeah, give us your final words. And uh, yeah, anything you want to say? Yeah, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And uh, you know, I was going to do a regular traditional um, uh, press release, but I thought, you know what? The, the feedback from the podcast I did with you, I had so many people reach out to me. Yeah, I, I got a lot of lot, same response. Yeah, it's great. I, I was like, I was like, you listen to this? Who listens to this for two and a half hours? He's like, dude, I listened to it on the way to work, on the way home. It was awesome. I'm like, thank you. Mm-hmm. So putting it out this way and, and having you, I reached out to you and, and you were cool with it. So I want to say thank you for that. And uh, we're going to be in Phoenix. And if anybody wants to talk wheels or training, come by the, the Remix tent uh, and uh, say hello 
And, uh, you know, best of luck to everybody out there. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Greg. And uh, we'll see you uh, next weekend in Phoenix. And I uh, hope everybody liked this. And, uh, yeah, stay, stay tuned for the Greg Hill Part 2. We'll do later in the year. And, uh, yeah, cheers, everybody. Thanks. All right, guys. Take care.